0: Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to Transnatural Perspectives. This is the show where we put nature in focus while cultivating perspectives on society and culture across environments and landscapes. I'm your host, Josh Bennett, recording live on a dark and stormy night here in Oslo, Norway, to all of you around the world. And wow, this is great. Here we are today, already into our fifth conversation a little bit over a month into the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, who have been doing it so far. And if you're just tuning in, for the first time today, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. And if you're listening on YouTube, you can also click that bell so you can be informed every time we drop a new episode. And please, please, please share these episodes. It's the best way that you can support the efforts of this show by spreading the word of perspective on nature and culture, environment, and sustainability out to all those good people who haven't got a chance to listen yet. So, thanks for doing that, everybody who's been doing it already. And I can see that it's been working because this show has been listened to in over 30 countries in the past month. And that's pretty interesting, especially, I think the only one we're missing right now, the only continent we're missing, we're on all the continents except Antarctica. So, Antarctica, we are waiting. So, hopefully, they're coming soon. And yeah, so it's very nice to see that we have a very trans cultural, very trans. Natural audience out there, so let's keep growing. I'd also like to give a shout out to my friends over at Wild Pedagogies, WildPedagogies.com, for creating a nice little home for the show on that site. You can check out WildPedagogies.com for more info about events, books, and publications over there. And now on to today's exciting guest, Huk Mideke. Huck is a wilderness guide and survival instructor based in Eastern Finland. He is chairman of the Wilderness Guide Association of Finland, and he's the founder of Nordic by Nature, which provides wilderness guide services, sustainability consulting, and survival workshops. Huck's latest endeavor is the establishment of Nomad Town. Nomad Town is a resilience hub, off-the-grid, minimalist, mobile community that lies on the outskirts of Johansu, Finland. Today, he's here to talk about all this and a lot more of the theory and philosophy of survival and its importance in today's world, in today's Anthropocene. I think we might be also exploring some new frontiers here in the world of podcasting today, at least on this show, because our guest Huck is joining us from a sauna in northern Finland. We're still working on sauna acoustics for the future episodes, so please pardon any sound quality issues, but overall, it's a pretty relaxed conversation. And well, what else could you expect from a conversation in a sauna. That being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with me and Hook. Z out there on the other side, everybody, for some reflections. Thanks for tuning in. Huskies
1: might be howling in the huskies. Sector. Yeah,
0: okay. So uh, every, anybody who's listening out there, you're listening to uh, Hook. Mideke, am I saying your
1: name right? Right, uh, yeah. I don't really care, but it's fine. Yeah, we've got
0: Hook yeah. all the way over there in Finland from uh, Nomad Town. He's going to tell us all about this. And
1: uh, yeah, where are like where are you right now? Right now, it's, it's autumn holiday here in Finland, and I promised my son a road trip to as far north as he has never been before, and we are now uh, in a place called Taivalkoski. So. Now we're closer to Rovaniemi than to UN, where my hometown is, oh. or where I'm not living. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. okay. So, yeah, I mean, so are you above the Arctic Circle right now or something?
1: Uh, I actually don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but e- either way, I mean, it's... For, for, for most people in the world, I think, that are listening, it, it, almost everywhere is below where you're at right now. I mean, probably the same goes for me. I'm here in <clears throat> Oslo, Norway, which... Uh, is uh, pretty crazy because I'm actually originally from the tropics, so it's an interesting
1: environment to be in. But uh, yeah, but
0: and where do you where are you normally living?
1: It's a place called Joensu, <laughs> which means river mouth or river's mouth, and that's still the southern half of Finland and the east of Finland, or let's say a place people call Finland, and. Yeah. Some, some time ago I was introduced at a party like, Hey, this is Huck. He lives in a yurt. And I was like, like, what the fuck? Like what kind of introduction is that? Like <laughs> you no, know, in in Mongolia, you wouldn't get very far with that kind of introduction. Yeah. Right? It's like, Oh, here's, this is Josh. He lives in an apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't say anything about anyone. I, in my opinion, like, but apparently in that occasion, in that for that person who introduced me, that was, uh,
0: yeah, but yeah, but that that is interesting, right? It, I mean, it is kind of interesting to think that for let's say for somebody that's not living in a yurt, you know, and I and I would say, you know, arguably, yeah, in if you go to Mongolia or maybe some other countries, it's very common to live in a yurt, and it would be very like uncommon. Maybe if we were in Mongolia and you'd be like, Oh, this is this is Josh, he lives in the city, you know. So it is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're living in a yurt and this is something kind of I don't know I guess a bit outside the norm in the where in in Yonsu where you're living
1: yeah yeah a bit too much outside of the norm if you ask the authorities
0: <laughs> so and, and I'm just curious too so where, where you are right now how is what's the landscape like let's just get a little feel for the place that we're in right now
1: where am I right now? Well, I'm looking at a very calm lake. Well, this is certainly the subarctic boreal regions. So, which, which, yeah, the, the leaves have left the, the mm-hmm. trees. So, the, the Ruska, this time of color brown and red and uh, purples and uh, yellows, so that time is basically over here. So, yeah, I'm looking at a very calm lake out of the window of a sauna. So, I went into this sauna warm from yesterday because it's uh, a place where i'm undisturbed It feels a bit strange to be sitting here with clothes and electronics <laughs> <but> <laughs> oh
0: that's lovely though so you're in a sauna yeah i remember and you, you were telling me earlier that you were in a sauna last night so sauna one of my favorite things that i've kind of been introduced to since i moved to the north this is a kind of a big deal in up here in the north and i, I think particularly a lot of people know about have heard about the finnish sauna so i mean what's i don't know what's your connection with the sauna
1: mm. well i was in the sauna first time i think that i was six years old and and i'm not a finn like well i, I was born in germany so i was on holiday in mm-hmm. my connection to sauna is what well, it is a very very important place for me it does so many things like it, it's connecting like when you sit with friends in the sauna there's nothing distracting so it's just you and and the hot room and what i really enjoy in the sauna is you can you can really play with the atmosphere like you can throw more water or less water uh you can have sauna where you can sit for hours and just you know be basically you know imagine you sit in a sunny beach just, it's like perfect. You don't you don't feel any cold. It's cozy and warm, and you could just sit there for hours. and And of course, you're naked, which is, you know, I think also a wonderful feeling in itself. and And then you can also have that kind of sauna that you throw water on the stones and you get steam in the room. Finnish word loilu describes a lot more than than throwing water to the stones. And and then you can do nothing else but focus on your breath. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, it's not even. You know, meditation, you have like, you know, it's a technique, right? You, you, you focus on your breath to meditate and in the sauna that happens automatically. You don't even need to focus. It happens automatically. There's no space for anything else than your breath because it literally takes your breath away sometimes. So, and and you're really in the heat and, and it's, it's wonderful. Like the whole world disappears. Yeah. Well, you could go on and on about sauna. It's like, you know, people used to be born in the sauna. People really? were dying in the sauna. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, like when you think about the sauna, the origin of the sauna, it's like, it's an easy to heat space um, because of the heat and also originally because of the smoke, because the original sauna was a smoke sauna. You didn't have a chimney. You'd heat a pile of rocks inside a room or a, a hole in the ground and the smoke would travel through the whole room and out of the hole. And once you had the stones heated up sufficiently, you let the fire go out and then you go to the sauna. Mm-hmm. Right. So and and it's a very sterile place. It's very clean. It's also easy to clean when you think of giving birth, which you know can be quite a messy thing. Like it's easy to clean space. You wouldn't have eighty degrees in there, but you would have a nice temperature. You'd have access to plenty of hot water. So it's like the place also where you perform like little surgeries or so. And the sauna is of course the first place you build if you settle down somewhere because you can live in the sauna you can eat in the sauna so it's yeah sauna is perfect i mean (laughs)
0: it 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 does make a lot of sense uh, because it's it's probably especially if you're living you know outdoors especially before we had you know heating in homes and stuff like that i mean i imagine for hundreds and thousands of years people have been trying to create warmth especially in these cold places like finland norway uh, sweden all the way up here up in the north so and and i i mean i mean i know saunas are very worldwide and you know popular so i'm sure saunas have like different meanings for different people and i thought it was like really beautiful how you described the sauna are, is there still like people giving birth in saunas is this a thing because this is very fascinating to me.
1: I, I think it happens. I'm sure it happens. Mm-hmm. Like, I am I mean, like, also home birth is becoming more, more popular and also mm-hmm. sauna is like, people know about that sauna was the place to give birth. So, and, and I think there's people who probably give birth in the sauna, maybe as we speak or as you listen, you who, like, this is, uh, I want to say this because. I always so fascinated by this technology. It's like a time travel, right? We are talking here right now. You there in Norway? Me here in the mm-hmm. sauna. We have our here and now. And then you, who are not here with us now, but still you are, you listener, wherever you are, welcome. I, I, I mean, I greet you. It would be lo- lovely to connect. Um, it's so it's unbelievable for me to to get my head wrap my head around this that there's another now and another here. Right, the the here and now of the listening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, That's actually that's that's something that I really do love about. I mean, this whole form of like media and storytelling and uh, listening. You know uh, that you know we're creating a document right now that will be I don't know until we can imagine forever. You know, on the internet or in some file somewhere, and people can listen to this and and sit down and kind of have a conversation right here with us or be a fly on the wall and...
1: Or be on the bicycle or be outside. That's I think that's so nice with the podcast because you don't need a screen. Yes, Like I'm always, when I, you mentioned the, the, that I have a, a YouTube channel, we talked about this and, and like, I find it so strange to talk in this piece of plastic, create a video and knowing that I'm actually creating screen time and as a, like somebody who is into connecting people to nature mm. and like as a wilderness guide screen time creates they kind of my my enemy. Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 totally yeah, we're on the same page when it comes to that. I mean, I you know, in in the past I used to do a lot of video work and I mean, it's still enjoyable, but you know, I realized yeah, not only am I in front of the screen a lot, you know, editing and all this kind of stuff, but then you also end up creating screen time for other people, and yeah, like you said, you know the, that's what's really great about the audio format is that you know
1: we can you can
0: wash your dishes, you can walk outside, it's, you know, you can just listen, and you don't have to look at anything. So it's
1: and also like compared to TV, already you can pause right now and continue listening when you're outside, and then you can you know. Have some nature connection moments while you listen. Maybe it was one year or so. I, I think these are beautiful options with the podcast. That's I'm, I'm, yeah, fascinating, and, and I, I, that makes me also very happy to to be on your podcast. I'm very grateful. Yeah.
0: Oh, the, man! Thanks for coming on. I, it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning, and you know, we've had. I think this might be, uh, you know, somewhere around the fifth or so episode when this comes out. And already you're, you're a product of this podcast because I released the first podcast and then you responded. I, I always say, oh, if you want to come on the show, just send me a message. And you did. And then and then now here we are. So it's pretty cool. This is the this is the point right? to reach out and get in contact with people and spread the word. And especially in a way what I think is amazing about this format, too, is that we can do it in a way where it doesn't have to go through some big academic process. You know, there's so many great minds out there. And there's so many great people to talk to and so many valuable words. And it's sometimes just takes forever to get these things out there. But it's actually really easy now with all of the really accessible technology that we have. So yeah, thanks for coming on. And yeah, very fascinating about the saunas too. I and mean, I could talk about that all day. I, just, I was gonna, sh- I was thinking about my own sauna story and how, you know, it's very different over here. I would say in Europe in general, or at least in the north, because, you know, when I first came over, I mean, of course, we have saunas in the States and stuff like that, but it's just like a totally different vibe. It's usually in a gym somewhere or some exclusive spa somewhere. And I was pretty impressed, especially in the more of the Baltic countries, kind of like where you are right now. And uh, down south there, uh, I know my partner, she's from uh, Lithuania, so I spend a lot of time over there. And it's just that yeah, people got saunas in their basements, you know, it's very common. And now here in Oslo, we have saunas just kind of floating on the fjord. I think you might have something mm. like that in Helsinki, too. And and but way, yeah, when I first came, I was like, saunas, I just I don't understand. Why do I why do people want to sit in a room and sweat, you know? And especially, and, and and that was my, you know, just my cult, my kind of cultural, you know, I mean, I also come from Florida, so it's a very hot place. So there's not a lot of reason to go in a sauna usually, unless you have some kind of injury that you need to heat or something. But yeah, what, mm-hmm. how you describe the sauna is a very, I mean, I was just in a sauna last week and how you describe the sauna from, from your perspective is pretty right on in terms of like how you kind of feel like you've, you know, just nothing really matters and you can really clear your head in the sauna and really relax and something very i don't know reinvigorating about the sauna
1: yeah it's also like very cleaning like yes. i mean the, you you really flush your skin from the inside absolutely. out absolutely right? absolutely like and and you you feel like you know when you when you scrub your skin or or so you you feel like the dead skin coming off and and like it's also you know recommended to get a a good sweat going you know either through exercise or maybe through sauna like you know every now and then absolutely yeah
0: i really i made that because one thing i one thing i miss a lot especially in the winter time is of course you can do stuff like you know you can still be active in the winter time go skiing go hiking in the forest these kinds of things but you know you coming from a, a tropical place you know you find yourself sweating just all the time, you know, and I miss and I miss that, and I can I found that I can get that from the sauna. So it's interesting that
1: you missed it because I try to avoid sweating. <laughs> like, I see myself like a really lazy bum. I try to avoid sweating. <laughs> like I mean, it's like like I I think I'm a very I don't know how do you say like rational plausible mm-hmm. person. Like I don't I don't engage so much in in you know and what would be nice mm-hmm. and so and. Especially in the winter, avoid sweating at all costs. Mm. Like it's much easier to be warm than to be dry when you when you go and, and you spend weeks in the winter outside. Oh, and it's just so much more important. Yeah, and you don't want to you don't want to sweat so
0: much in the winter because then you might freeze.
1: You know? you don't want to sweat yeah. at all. Yeah, no. it, because it, it means you're wasting energy. It's usually one of the mm-hmm. things. Like you need energy for cooling, right? You're losing liquid also, and and salts and stuff but it's really like you know it's just you get your insulation wet it's another yeah exactly
0: and i mean it's i guess this whole kind of hibernating in the winter idea that all the all the non-humans animals are doing you know they're just hibernating mostly in the winter and know you don't want to let out the energy you don't want to let out the nutrients wouldn't you want to do that of course yeah of course yeah i mean but then but then it kind of contradicts with what i guess probably most humans are doing during the winter time which is like the same thing still going to work still riding the ball still you know going to school all of these things and another thing i noticed since you know moving to the north is i'm just like my goodness like we should be hibernating right now. I don't really feel like we should be. Yes, <laughs> we yes should be we should yeah. be going through the same motions that we would during the sunny times of the year you
1: know yes, which are you do you know the eight shields model or is it, I don't know if it's a model it's a concept it's a it's a philosophy. I don't know what is the right word, but have you heard about the eight shields? No
0: no, tell us about it
1: it's it's something that I have heard through John Young. Like nature connection mentor, master John Young, student of Tom Brown, mm-hmm. and or, or mentee of of Tom Brown, and very very good stuff that he he has. And I think he has. I mean, m- many of our listeners now they probably know about John Young because the the Coyote Guide to Connecting with Men uh, to Connecting with Nature is like one of his main works, together with others, and or what the Robin knows about bird language. Really recommend his stuff. Um, also listening to his talks and through him, I heard about the eight seals and the eight seals is like something that uh, he and others found out when they were looking at like what kind of, well, systems are in place in many cultures where, like where there's something shared and there's the, you know, we have the four directions, right? The North, the South, the East, the West, and then those four in between. So those make the eight seals, right? The eight directions. But also there is the seasons. So and they're corresponding to, for example, the east is the spring. Mm. Right. So the sun comes up in the east, at least in the well, also in the southern hemisphere, but in the in the northern hemisphere, it travels through the south. And the south is in the summer, but also the midday and the south. So <clears throat> now we are we are moving towards the winter. Um, and the winter is like the time of sleeping and the time of wisdom and dreaming and um, conserving energy. And it's like, for me, it's very much the time of sleeping. And I find it really, really tempting to keep the lights on. But now, luckily, I have some restrictions because I'm restricted to solar power. I have a small solar setup and I have had to reduce my electronics to to mobile phone, headlamp and a radio. And... Yeah, it's still pretty tight in the winter to get my electricity for that. But it means that I simply spend more time in the dark and I spend more time sleeping. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would even sleep more. Like,
0: Yeah, it almost seems in the winter you can't get enough sleep sometimes because I think that's just... I, I think our bodies would probably prefer to just go to sleep for like
1: three months. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's a very plausible thing. Like when you think about like energy efficiency the closer you move the insulation to your body the less space you need to heat Mm. right so if i take the sleeping bag or blanket and throw in maybe one or two hot water bottles and my own you know the calories that i burn in my body to create my body heat and i trap this heat in a small cocoon then i don't need to heat much space so if i now think if i would want to you know sleep naked in my yurt and the yurt has some insulation, and I wouldn't want to use a blanket. I would need to heat it, the yurt a lot mm. to keep it at a nice temperature. And so now I have the luxury that I I, I can just let the yurt go cold while I sleep. Mm. So The more time I spend sleeping, the less energy I use, and the less work I have making firewood or earning money to buy energy or whatever the system here.
0: Yeah, start. actually, yeah. This is this is something I thought about before too. I like that idea. The more time you sleep, the less time you <laughs> need to spend doing all of these other uh, kind of societal human things. So, yeah, tell us a little bit. I guess wh- where are you living now? I know you're up in the north right now, but back in back in more southern Finland, are you living with uh, at Nomad Town right now, as you call it?
1: Yeah, well, the Nomad Town is 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 well, basically a bit of my brainchild, Mm -hmm. but it's also like at the same time the result of some collective effort and experimentation. So, paint um, us a little
0: picture. How does this? uh, uh, There's some some really great videos on uh, Hooks' uh, YouTube channel showing what the Nomad Town looks like in different iterations, but. uh, Tell us a little bit
1: about it. Well, like, first of all, the Nomad Town is a so-called resilience hub And it's a place where, in the <clears> moment, we're living, like, we have two inhabitants. In the summer, we had uh, in between eight. Last winter, we had four inhabitants. So it's like, you know, nomads passing mm-hmm. through. So it's like basically a place where people who are consider themselves as nomads should be able to feel so home that they can host their friends there same time this Nomad town is like well it's basically bit like a mobile eco-village so we are like mobile in ourselves everything all the infrastructure is mobile or we're using something that we find on site on the on the on the location and make it usable. So in the moment there's for example an old sauna on the place that we are using. Mm. We are experimenting with high level sustainability. So we are completely off grid uh, have own well we have compost toilets on electricity and the idea is to find out how high on the sustainability scale is it possible for us to live so and and I think what like might be a nice example like what maybe also many of us outdoor Dorsey folks can relate to is like I once crossed the Alps from Germany to Italy was a 35 kilo backpack I was very young and inexperienced, and I had access to a lot of hiking equipment because I was working in a hiking mm. store. And I had this thirty-five kilos, for uh, I think I think it was like less than ten days. Mm. So I carried all the food. I had two pots. I had stove. I had fuel. I had a tent. I had two pairs of shoes. You know, all, all kinds of really, and and probably the backpack itself was empty, three and a half mm. kilo, and. I realized that this was not a way to go. I needed to go lighter. And then I started to shave the weight. I went this ultra lightweight direction. A lot of DIY, a lot of uh, expensive gear, lightweight, expensive gear. So it was quite a process. And I learned a lot of, you know, I made my own tops and own sleeping systems and sleeping bags and stuff. And like eventually I ended up with 14 kilo for a two week hike, including all the food. Wow. In, in late autumn, Lapland. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, okay. and, and that was Cold like, region. yeah, it, it was in a way, it was a, like a long journey to get there and it was expensive and, and in a way, energy and resource intense, like a lot of high tech equipment. And then I had this eye opener by taking part in a survival course by the Finnish Survival Guild. And we had a one week trip where we made 80 kilometers. That was late summer. And one night actually was frost. I remember one night was frost and we were about three kilos. Wow. That's so we did. Yeah. Like it was about three kilos. What we had as our starting weight. And of course you kind of collect stuff. You build stuff on the way, like build a back frame. And, but like the, the very beginning we had like skin out something a bit over three kilos, less than five for sure. And, and we still managed. It was, you know, it was not a nice, but well, it was very memorial, but you know, we were cold. We were hungry. We didn't sleep so well every night. So it was not like the pleasurous hiking experience, but I noticed that, okay, if I just throw in a rain poncho, for example, like one lightweight item, I could uh, get a lot more comfort. So like what I'm trying to say is like, What we are doing in the moment with our society is we try to make what we have grown used to, we try to make that more sustainable, Mm -hmm. right? And we're doing it exactly the same way as I went from the 35-kilo backpack to the 14-kilo backpack. Mm -hmm. And what we are trying in the moment on is, okay, let's start high on the sustainability scale, right? Go to the three kilos. And see how much we have to go back.
0: Mm, Yeah. More yeah, because I think a lot of people that I mean are concerned still a lot of people just don't even care, but a lot of people that are concerned with becoming more sustainable. It's this kind of, I don't know the proper word, like reductive or deductive process where you're like, okay, I have all this stuff. How can I how can I get like mini versions of this and fit this in my backpack for my trip? Mm-hmm. And yeah, from what it sounds like from your experience, and I, I've, I've experienced some of this myself is, you know, if you if you get really down to like the bare bones basics, and then you kind of build on from there and say, Okay, so I have nothing now I have very little. Okay, could I use this a little bit, you know, you're a bit, pri- I, I imagine you get more selective with what you bring back into your life or bring back into your situation. Once you're down to this very basic survival level.
1: Hmm. Like, I mean, like you, like there's there's technology that we don't know yet, right? There's some technology coming. We don't mm. know yet. So far, we haven't missed it. And we have this like technology, let's say 4G m- mobile networks or 5G mobile networks or whatever else is coming, right? Like we don't know those yet. We don't need them yet. And once we grow used to them, we we, we don't know anymore how to be without, right? Yeah, of
0: course. People are
1: and, addicted now. <laughs> and it's yeah I don't know if it's addicted if, uh, like we talked yesterday with some friends like you know wh- where does it start Just call it addiction mm. like because these are things that we are born into you know like if like addiction almost sounds a bit like a choice you know like it's like are you, you well not choice but like it's something that you do right yeah you you and, and with most of these things that I would call an addiction, an unhealthy addiction in terms of lifestyle. These are things that we were born into. Like, and, and I think that's where I feel we as educators. Mm. And, and I say mm. we as educators because I feel that everybody who, you know, who, who has a, a certain level of maturity should consider themselves as educators. Absolutely. Like we have a, a very strange situation. We are the first species on this planet. Whose offspring is well advised not to copy the parent's lifestyle.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh we we this well, yeah. I mean, it's there's a lot of arguments to be said that, you know, every future generation is, you know, kind of cleaning up the mess of the past. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we find ourselves in a particularly interesting situation right now, like in the current, you know, grown-ups that are existing, us, us, us grown-ups that are In our prime right now, of decision making, we're yeah we're 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 at a point where we realize what we're doing is very unsustainable, and we actually have some at least personal powers to change things. And actually, that's something I really like that you mention a lot in your videos. Is that I thought it was really great. You you talk a lot about you know we we got to try. Yeah, you're, you're, I find you very reflective in your videos and, and right now where you say, okay, I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but or at least we got to try. I think you had a good quote from there. It was, you know, we're, we're sawing, we're very slowly sawing, we're sitting on the limb of a tree and we're very slowly sawing it off. You know, so like, what would you do in that situation? If the ship was sinking, you would at least try to swim away. Maybe you survive, maybe you don't, but we have to at least push in the
1: right direction, right? Mm. I, I was like the other day had an interesting conversation with a, uh, um, well, I, I would say another activist mm-hmm. from the Extinction Rebellion movement. And he said, like, well, like what you're doing, it's like nice that you do, but it doesn't work for everyone because you're very brave. And I was like, I, I, I don't get that. Like, where's the brave part? And he said, well, you're doing something that, you know, you have no blueprint for like there's no parent that has shown you how to live in a yurt there's nobody who has shown you how to live off grid it's not like you can call the, the father-in-law and uh, ask how to get a bank loan you know we have that kind of knowledge we have available but we are lacking these kind of survival skills we don't know how to live in a sustainable way and and in his opinion it was like me just trying it makes me very brave and like I had never been in a yurt before I spent my first night in my own yurt. Mm-hmm. So I had like no experience with the yurt, but I had experience. I knew that I can sleep, you know, like weeks in the winter outside just with calories and, and sleeping back and talk. Right. So as long as I'm warm, dry and safe, I'll be fine. And I, I know I have been in a heated tent in the winter that didn't have insulation. I could take my gloves off. So I thought like, okay, if those two work. Then probably the U.S. will work too. And also we have like a bit of history, like human history, that we lived in, in semi-nomadic ways with mobile shelters made from natural materials. So like and, and that's for the most part of human history. So we have good evidence that this could work. So it didn't feel like you know a jump in the cold water. On the other hand, like it was still a step outside of my comfort zone, like the comfort zone of you know being living in systems that somehow I know how to operate within mm-hmm. what I found actually would need a lot more bravery is to stay inside a system where we know that it's killing our planet yeah
0: it, i i I'm with you on that one I mean it, but it is hard i mean it's so hard for people to see uh outside the bubble you know what I mean i mean it's uh it's not a clear bubble you know what I mean i mean on the on the surface it is i mean we can see we have more information than ever about what human impact is having on the environment and but what what a big problem too is just kind of how people talk about it. oh the animals the environment the people over there on the other side of the world i saw this horrible video on youtube about how there's this uh, river in india somewhere where people are making fabric and it's all you know all this color going, chemicals going. People think it's somewhere far away. They don't see what's happening. Even I mean, there's evidence, no matter where you live, of climate catastrophe and our impact. But there's this real big, I mean, I, I, you know, the, like cognitive dissonance that's going on and people just are disconnected from the means of survival. And I guess you are quite in touch with that because if I understand right you're also like a wilderness survival teacher or guide. Well I'm
1: like I'm uh, currently actually acting the chairman of the Wilderness Guides Association International Association that we kicked off a few years ago and I work as a survival instructor Okay, and like I haven't given courses now for some time because I'm kind of reorientating Mm -hmm. myself but the survival courses that I used to give was like basic wilderness survival this is what people wanted to buy so to you know in whatever unlikely event that you end up in a wilderness setting and have to get your way back to civilization and like actually through these courses i started to to realize that civilization is not the, the safer space right and Like when when we and and this is like now I'm I'm not sure if I should open this Pandora box (laughs) in a way I feel I should go for it. On the other hand, I I I should warn listeners that this is tough Mm -hmm. stuff. Like this is not this is not easy to take in information and you might I don't know feel different about your life afterwards. Mm -hmm. And if I break it down, is like nature is the only place on earth, right? Wherever we are wherever you can breathe, wherever you can die is nature. Like you actually, even a minority where you are, because there's like two to three kilos of other organisms inside of you. Mm-hmm. Right. So wherever we are, wherever we want to live and thrive, we must also be able to survive. Right. Survival and thrival and living, they're the same thing. Yeah. And To survive, we as mammals or as members of the global community of life, we need six priorities to be covered. So that's shelter, food, water, air, health and community. Like if this would now be a training, I would ask like, what are our six survival priorities? And usually people don't get this list together. We don't know anymore what are our six survival priorities. Right. (laughs) and usually where people are struggling is like health and air and community like they get food water and and shelter and shelter for example also a fire is a shelter right It's warm dry safe that's what fire can provide Uh, a parachute a rowing boat they can all be sheltered Mm. yeah so when we look at our six survival priorities They need to be covered in a sustainable way. Otherwise, we have a survival situation.
0: What do you mean by, uh, what do you mean if these aren't covered, then we have a survival situation?
1: Okay, so if these six survival priorities, let's say you're falling from an aeroplane and you don't have a parachute, Mm. right? In that very moment, when you're still free falling, you have a shelter problem,
0: Mm.
1: right? You, you're, you're probably not starving. You're probably not, you know, dehydrating in that short time. And air is your least problem and health and well community might be able to help you, but very soon, if you don't fix your shelter problem, you will very soon have a, you know, huge health problem.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So if, if, if it, yeah, so you're saying if you, if you pull out one of these six survival priorities, then you're going to have a problem. The system is going to fall apart.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so like people understand this kind of so called type 1 or type A survival situations like you have a car accident you open your eyes and you see both of your legs are severed from the knee down a lot of blood is coming out you see that you know you need to do something now otherwise you will be dead in 2 minutes Yeah right These are very obvious ones and so survival situation is when one or two or more are missing or not covered in a sufficient way. So, and this is where we come to the type two survival situation, like maybe you could call them chronic, like slowly developing. And they're the dangerous one because we don't notice them. So, like, example is you're fighting inside a war in a, in a how do you call it, these trenches, mm-hmm. right? So, you get some food, you get some sleep, you get some healthcare, you get some air, you get some water. Like you get everything a little bit. So you don't notice that it's not, you know, nothing of those are sufficient over the long term. And at some point, like your organism, your body is compensating. And this is also something where you don't notice it. Right. And then at some point, it's not compensating anymore. And then it goes really rapidly down. Mm-hmm. Right. Then it's like, you know, the, the moment to act is when you don't notice it. Once you notice it it's too late to act.
0: Which is kind of the situation the entire world is in right now.
1: Yeah. Maybe
0: back in, the, like back in uh, the back in the nineteen fifties actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like when like I, I really like to use the example of food mm-hmm. because it's something where which we can feel, right? If you go to a wilderness trip and if you have been on a trip and you've Step on a scale before you leave, and step on a scale when you come back. You probably have lost some weight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Maybe that's not not a bad thing, right? In many cases, that's quite quite a healthy. Yeah, thing it's a do. joyous
0: and occasion. Everybody gets back from the
1: went on a long bike ride this this summer and came back
0: a couple of weeks later and was like, "Wow, I'm so fit!" <laughs> yeah. Yes,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. So, because we carry a lot of ballast around with us on our bodies that we don't really need, mm. that comes from you know, oversupply of food and mm-hmm. nutrients. But the thing is, like, if you would feed yourself from the wilderness, right? Like, according to human nature, we're persistent hunters. That's what we're good at. We're the fastest mammal on earth over the distance. Really? Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, of course, you have an elephant; they can walk longer distances. Mm-hmm. We have we have cheetahs who can run a lot faster, but they can't sustain that speed ah, over saying. the distance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Over the distance, we are we are we are the fastest. Mm-hmm. So and, and this is what you know how we hunted. We hunted by by outrunning our mm-hmm. prey, and this is how still like persistent hunt is still something that happens in in the Kalahari, right? It's, it's something that's still with us. So if you if you hunt, let's say you you find fresh prints and you start running after a deer, and in the end of the day you get the deer and you bring it home to the group, and of course because you live in a group. You, you share it, you split it up, you don't get all the calories, right? and then you share, maybe you get one glove back, right? Somebody knows how to make from the skin, gives you a nice mm-hmm. glove, so which helps you to conserve energy, but you would really feel if you use more energy to get the food to your table, then what you get back from eating the food, right? In the... In survival courses, people feel weaker and weaker every day because they don't manage to get the calories in that they consume.
0: Okay. So, I mean, yeah. So, survival course sounds like, you know, it's a good place to kind of get aware of certain skills and, but, you know, and apply them back to when you back, back to your like everyday life. But, you know, the situation that you're living in right now with Nomad Town, like how, How, let's say like how off the grid or like disconnected are you from, let's say like the everyday
1: system? How does that work? I I can't get there yet because I just opened the food subject. (laughs) 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 I I need to wrap this up. up, up. Okay, the the thing is like in a a wilderness situation, you would notice the the difference between energy input and Mm -hmm. output. But right. what we have now in this, we are like sitting maybe eight hours per day by our office desk. We don't use much mm-hmm. calories then. And then we sit in the car and then we push some button at the patient like at home when we heat our tuna pizza in the oven. Right? We don't use much energy. And in this very short time of the supermarket, we can buy huge amount of energy, huge amount of kilojoules or calories, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call this. And so then we heat up this pizza and eat it and everything seems to be fine. Our, our bellies are full and uh, everything is good. We have an oversupply and nutrients and, and uh, calories. And what we do not feel is the energy that it takes to produce and run the shipping vessel that is catching the tuna that will end up on our pizza and the whole chain, you know, of, of storing, processing, selling, transporting, packaging. Yeah. You know, the like whole supply chain, all this energy, all the supply chain. And it is still, it's still the same calculation, right? We still, need to distribute this energy input over the amount of participants in this system. And we will see that we actually use a lot more energy than what we get back. Absolutely. And that's the same for every single food product in the Finnish supermarket.
0: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's funny that you bring this up. Excuse me. You know, as a a teacher, I was a school teacher for a while. And one of my favorite... Activities to do the whole year is we would have students map the supply chain. I would tell them, okay, you have to pick a product that you know, it was like a photo essay. It was kind of like you go outside and you take pictures and collect photos and stuff. And I had I had them take a picture of an item that they use every day. It could be like a pen, it could be a cookie, whatever, ice cream. Mm-hmm. And I would, mm-hmm. we would go through, we, we, we boiled it down to like the six steps of the supply chain from resource to consumer. And mm-hmm. this was, I would say, the number one thing kids enjoy this so much. Like, and I've done it with adults too. And I mean, adults enjoy it too. It's just people's minds are blown about where their products come from and all this energy that involves and all the natural resources. And it's such a simple activity that any person can really do, you know, on a, in a 30 minutes on the internet, go research where their item came from. And I mean, mm. it, it, is, it is mind-blowing. People are like fascinated. And sometimes I've, I've also had people that got really terrified about where their products were coming from, they find out the labor that was involved, and that's unethical, the child labor, how the animals are being treated, all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I mean, yeah, if you're listening out there and you've never done that before, go through go through the supply chain of any of your common items. It can be really mind blowing and and it's a good exercise to kind of like make you think about where this is coming from.
1: And I think we need yeah, to. absolutely we need to we need to rethink these ways because. We kind of slid into it. There's no one to blame, right? It's, it's totally legal and advertised to buy avocado in Finland. <laughs> uh, it's certainly not part of the solution. And when I look at our situation right now, also the famous Finnish education system, the Finnish school system is really mm. famous. Best um, in the world, right? It only, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, w- I would say no, because, That's what um, <laughs> yeah, but we still only managed to, teach our children how to survive inside a system that itself doesn't right. survive right and and what is our role as educators what is it our role as as parents we have to teach survival to our offspring that's our only role and we're not doing it because we don't know how to do it ourselves right we can try and that's something that i hope that i can show to my kid that i'm really sorry i brought you in this world i don't know how to do this but I, I can show you that at least it's possible to try. Oh.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like so important. I mean, okay, so on the one side of the situation, we have cataclysmic like climate change, and you know, you know, the world might be over, or like we might not be able to turn around in ten years, and it's just really overwhelming stuff for a lot of people. But at the same time, you know, I, what I like about what you're saying and what I, I I say to a lot of people too is at least you can get started at least you can try I mean it's this whole idea of like in one way being at least I mean at the very least on the right side of history that might sound kind of weak but like I mean I at least want to be on the right side of history to know if somebody asked me in the future what were you doing okay that at least I tried and 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 that's the only way we can maybe reach some kind of solutions I mean on a
1: Governmental level, these things take way too long, but they can impact. They have a high, you know. Yeah. That's the thing. Like the governmental level, it takes too long, but the impact can be high. If They change a law. The impact can it's, be it's huge. huge. So it's like we need to. It, I'm a big. I'm a big
0: um, promoter of the attack from all sides idea you know you do what you can in in finland with your knowledge of wilderness survival i'll do what i can being like uh sustainability minded and with my microphone some teacher in mississippi can do what they can in their classroom some lawyer mm. in you know bangkok can work with the environment from their perspective you know of course this is again kind of like working from you know all sides of the system so, I mean, yeah, with your like six survival priorities and, you know, the way that you are, I would say, yeah, acting this out or, or the way that you're living. I mean, do you see the, how, do, how do you think that translates, you know, for other people? Do you think, you know, it would be great if everybody was, it's kind of a broad question, but is it good if everybody's living like that or what's, or
1: what would you like to see other people doing? Well, what you said is like, you know, basically everybody has different possibilities. Mm. Um, and I think uh, what I would hope to see, I mean, like, who am I to talk? Mm. Right. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing as good as I think I could Mm. or should or want to. And I can only like share my own observations. I I don't want to tell anyone how to Mm -hmm. do things and I cannot. And what I personally feel is crucial is to understand that this is a survival situation, Mm. right? This is not about climate change. Climate change is just one out of many symptoms, right? We have the sixth mass extinction going on. We have 200 species dying every day because of our species that we probably depend Mm. on, right? So, I mean, the the pictures is really bleak and and I don't even want to, you know, paint it anymore because, you know, you just have to switch on the news and and you get all the negative stuff. Like, I think what is more important is to actually be aware of what kind of tools we can use to to deal with our situation so that we do not panic. Uh, and that's why I disagree with Greta Thunberg. Like she says that she wants us to mm. panic. And I think that's that's not a good idea because when we panic we might buy a Ferrari or something. <laughs> so <laughs> the um, world's
0: ending. I'm gonna go, you know, live hashtag yeah, live my best yeah. life and you know, go on a trip around the world and and buy a Ferrari and my own plane. And yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and, and there are like very good tools. Like, first of all, like, they're good ways to measure sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I think it's good to understand that more sustainable is just not enough, right? It's either sustainable or not. We can start with the more sustainable. And there's like so many things that are really, really easy to do. Like, it's basically, it, it can just take one week to just by choices that you make to get your ecological footprint to the half of the Finnish average, right? So, I and mean, that's just by choices. there's are really easy to do a lot. But I think what is more important is to to be able to deal with the situation in a manner that you actually avoid panic because it's, it, it's just, you know, it has panic written all over it, right? Like it's a situation outside of the comfort zone. We have no pre experience. Uh, there's very little training we can do to deal with the situation. So there would be kind of all kinds of reasons to, um, suggest that we should actually panic. Mm-hmm. And what there's something from, from the survival courses that I like to recommend that the stop tool. Mm-hmm. It's really like when you go to the situation of the car accident with the, with the, you know, where you're bleeding to death. Like to stop. L-E-S-T-O-P. Hmm. Stop means to stop, sit down, slow down. T is to think. What is the situation? What are the priorities? And always observe what options, opportunities I have. And P is make a plan. Right? That's the original stop tool, and we are using in the normal town a kind of uh, modified version of that for the type two survival situations. But in a type one survival situation, it could look like this. Stop. Okay. I realize my situation is not good. T, I just throw in thank for good measure. Thank, I'm still alive. Because gratitude opens the mind to positive mm-hmm. thinking. So we thank, have a, you know, there can be a split second. It can be just a thought, I'm still alive. And then think, what is the situation? What is my priority? Like, what, what priority am I lacking? The idea is, do I actually have a survival situation? Yes or no? Because only because something might look bad and there might be a lot of blood, It might not be a survival situation because it's not critical or maybe also it's you know the attention might be wrong right i see a lot of blood going but i see an ambulance standing over there but what i see what i maybe don't feel is that there's fuel leaking and there's a fire burning so there might be a a different danger that i'm not aware of so that's that's in the t what is the priority that i have to take care of or what are the options So you might see a seatbelt around you, you might have a pocket knife, you could make a tourniquet or something right, to stop the bleeding, or there might be a first aid kit, or you could call for help, or you could just maybe, you realize, I can just open the door and walk to the ambulance, right? Mm. And then P is making the plan and also choosing positive, right? And, and this is a tool that you can use in a type 2 survival situation as well, right? And what also how the nomaton has happened, the nomaton is a result of this tool. And we had in 2018, we had a one month experiment where we wanted to see can we actually live one month without fossils, without rubbish and without money. And it turned out to be such a wonderful time. You know, we called it sneak peek into paradise. <laughs> Good name. And and then I decided, okay, this is what I want for my son. Mm. Like I want, you know, a life like this and that came the nomad on, and the stop tool in this sense uh, or in this process is something that we use every full moon and we call it the full moon full stop okay. the reason to connect it to the full moon is that the full moon is is neutral it's a global phenomena it's a natural phenomena that gives us a little bit of a distance right it's you know the moon allows us to look at the world from a different mm. angle and so having this like kind of a bit of a sacred day once a month, which probably our ancestors also had as a sacred day once a month, kind of brings us maybe a little bit back together to to a shared belief. Like, you know, you have, in many religions, you have uh, the, the sacred day, Sunday, mm-hmm. or Saturday or Friday, and and now the shops are open on Sunday, and on Friday, and on Saturday, the world over almost. So we're, we are somehow lacking this day of, of you know, slowing down a bit and rethinking and reflecting. So that's why we chose the full moon. We can see it coming. It's not in the calendar. It's not always on Sunday, it's sometimes on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And it's just taking a day off. So taking a whole day off, not going to work, just stopping, slowing down, creating an environment where we can think in comfort, right? Have some tea. Mm-hmm. And then have gratitude and think the six survival priorities, are they covered in a sustainable way? Yes or no. Do I actually have a survival situation? How about my circle of awareness compared to my circle of disturbance, which maybe I think many Nature Connection mentors have an idea of this circle or use this concept of circle of awareness and circle of disturbance, which can also indicate are you in a survival situation? Yes or no. And then it goes to the O. what are the options? What is already good? What do you see others can do? What kind of copy paste solutions there might be, right? Like you see, okay, I have a lawnmower, the neighbor has a lawnmower. I can see that we don't use them both at the same time. So maybe we can share one away. And, or maybe, you know, not cut the lawn and have some hay that we use for our compost and our mulch beds <laughs> and can work together. And peas. Yeah, like, I mean, most of the things, like, basically, it's all down to communication. That's, I think, the most which is, part.
0: which is something that is, I think, communication is as much as communication technology that we have. I think that communication as a skill is quite underrated. I mean, that's just my opinion, but I mean, it's so important, and uh, people just communicating about. Whether, you know, ba- you know, feelings or even just basic stuff like I have this, you have that. Let's make this work together, you know, communication and working together, compromising collaboration and community. It's all got that, all these C words yeah. uh, that are very underrated, especially now because we have all this information technology so we can communicate like across the world. But we can bar- a lot of times barely communicate with our neighbor or our, even our friends sometimes, you know
1: yeah yeah and that's that's really interesting like on the one hand we can communicate it's a bit like a babylon situation Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like we're building this big tower and and suddenly we have like i don't know 20 different platforms where we can communicate (laughs) and and different channels and you can't keep up and follow up and suddenly you want to and need to know like how your lifestyle choice is affecting if, if the forest in Brazil is burning because it matters for your survival if the forest in Brazil is burning. And it's just too much, too much information. And at the same time, like basically what we need to do is we need to grow our own food and and, uh, have a good time with the neighbor.
0: Yeah. And yeah, grow. Yeah. Because I do think that there are like a lot of misconceptions about this idea of kind of going off the grid, or you know yeah creating your kind of creating some kind of nomad town or some people I think a lot of people would hear that and be like oh well you know not everybody can live like that or yeah like this person told you oh well you're so brave to do that but I mean not only is it you know uh, necessary to survival but it's also not like a it doesn't sound to me like a you know a selfish thing it's uh I'm doing this because of my survival depends on your survival. All of our survival depends on the collective survival. And, and this is about working together. You know, it's not just about like,
1: yeah, in a way it's like, I mean, you have this like swap egocentric to ecocentric, mm. right? Um, and I, I think that's like, you know, where, where it, it, it the same. Right, because if, if I'm living ecocentric, if life in all its diversity is my number one priority, because this is why I am, mm-hmm. right? I can only be because of life in all its diversity. And this is also at the same time I feel for myself this is my reason of being is life in all its diversity. So if it's good for the life in all its diversity, it's good for me. So I don't know. Is it called egocentric? Or exactly.
0: Ego-centric? I, I, sometimes it's, no, it's, it's like, like the it's being altruistic is maybe one of the yeah. most selfish things you can do in a way.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like if 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 you are like the most selfish person in the world, you know, if then you probably should be very concerned about your levels of nature, connection. Mm. because y- you will need, if you are interested in in yourself only, then you will benefit the most by being deeply connected and concerned about the rest of nature. Exactly. Yeah. If you're concerned with survival,
0: but not to go off on too far of a tangent, but I think there are some, you know, some drawbacks to, you know, a lot of belief systems. Uh, and this is just, you know, my opinion, but because you find that there's a lot of people i would say government officials at least i can i can say in the united states and around the rest of the world that are so concerned with um their external beliefs that include an afterlife or like a different world or something like that that they're gonna can go to and that you know this world is just for pillaging and the next world is for is for you know living in paradise you know well uh, let <laughs> let let you
1: let me let me give you this for ponder I studied comparative ah, okay, comparatively right, yes. so there are religions who believe where well, where there are people who who follow religions where there is the concept of rebirth right mm. we know that what is not so well known there is like in in many of these religions it's it's very possible to re to be reborn in the past <laughs> right? It's not, it's not because time is not a linear mm-hmm. thing in, in this in this belief. So if you say like, yeah, this world is like now for just using, abusing, you know, future will, you, you might actually be born, you know, back uh, in, into, into the life of your neighbor when you were a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so this is, this is actually, I mean, this is kind of almost like in a way kind of uh, polar opposite of the survival uh, situation because, you know, of course with belief, belief in, you know, different religions, afterlife, this kind of stuff, it's like, that's great. But what to me, what it sounds like is what survival priorities uh, give you is, okay, that's great if you want to believe all these different kinds of things. But right now, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to survive in this moment rather than waiting waiting to die and then turn into something else. I mean,
1: well, make a plan according to the to the T and the O that's to me like how to do Yeah, it. oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I didn't let you get to the P. Did you want to tell us about the P?
1: Oh, well, it it's very simple. Like in the full moon full stop after the observation seeing what options you have, like you need to make a plan. And then the plan is something that must be doable, right? It's it you can't and uh, like, you must be able to accomplish mm. it. Uh, at the same time, it should still be challenging. And because we are doing this full moon, uh, this stop every full moon, we are only making plan for the next month. Right? There might be a short, uh, a long-term intention, like a long-term direction, but the the plan is always just for the next month. It usually is like picking one or two survival priorities and focusing on them and do something about them yeah and community is probably always part of that, so community is always the survival priorities should always be part of the plan because community is like really easy to take care of by just investing yourself yeah. and yeah
0: yeah and i think I think what's interesting about the community uh aspect of survival is that I mean you know of course there's a lot of benefits to having community when it comes to like mental health benefits having friends having a good time all this kind of stuff but i think when it comes to survival i mean that's a part of mental health is of course a part of survival but what a lot i think what a lot of people don't realize is that it's literally necessary for your survival like you can't do everything on your own you know i mean there are some of these rare cases of you know the guy that lived in the woods for 40 years and built his own house and lived completely by himself but for the most part, most people can't do everything on it. its. Like I, I cut the wood while you, you know, tend the tend to the garden. But you know, we only have so much bandwidth in our brains, in our minds, to yeah. take care
1: of it, to survive. So we we need each other, like literally. Yeah, and also like we, I think the individual knowledge. Like if I think of my own skills and knowledge, they're probably like similar to that of a five-year-old from Stone Age. Mm. So, like, by far not mature. So I really need others, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, to to throw in more knowledge in the same pot. And, yeah, and a part of the piece is, is by the way, is to choose positive. Like what you said, well, about this, some people that survived on their own for long times. Like, we have evidence, like, from... You know, diaries and videos and things of people who did not survive survival situations. And we have situations where people had the same odds, right? There is similar situations and one survived, the other one didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And, and like the reason in most of these is that people gave up the hope. They didn't believe that they could do it. And then again there are people like who believe that they could do it or maybe had no idea i don't know if i can do it or not but at least i can try right so at least i die trying you know if if i die right and i think that's probably the biggest choice we have to do in the moment is like and, and i believe happiness is a choice right that got me out of depression was i chose happiness like and i think the dalai lama for some words that really helped me on that direction but that's like we have to choose being positive and because if we don't choose being positive like what what we are doing in the moment we are committing suicide
0: well, this is this is very and, interesting because this is something that i think also i think po- positivity gets confused a lot of time with um sorry i think a lot of times critical thinking or like in creative thinking gets confused with negative thinking and, and a lot of times critical thinking in, in like general society is not considered to be a part of uh, positive thinking, which to me yeah. sounds very like, like opposite of how, like, for example, I, you know, a lot of people I, I'm talking for myself, at least, you know, you can get, people can, you can talk about, oh, cli- this is happening. The climate change is happening. This is happening. And people say, oh, I don't want to talk about these negative things. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's for me getting that message out, having this conversation like this doesn't seem negative to me. This is, doesn't seem depressing. This seems like something that's positive. We're getting the message out. We're hopefully uh, igniting a flame that gets more people moving and all that kind of stuff. That to me, it seems like a positive action. But I think a lot of people just live in their daily lives, living in downtown Oslo, downtown Jonasu, downtown miami or whatever they don't want to talk about these kind of things that are considered to be negative so yeah. i don't know i mean how, do you, what do you think about that do you ever encounter anything like that
1: well yeah of course there's a lot of people who who do not want to go there like it's it's you know if it feels to us that there is a possibility to avoid these kind of like well understandings or realizations we might try to do so like and that's it's really like uh, the the thing is like everything feels good right we have fancy shelters we are warm dry and safe we don't really feel everything that is connected to our fancy shelters Mm. right? so like we don't feel the urgency and this is as long as we don't feel the urgency we feel that we can avoid looking at it. And it feels, of course, much better to, to avoid it than, than facing it. And at the same time, I feel that a lot more people, and and I think the Fridays for Future movement has played a big role in it, that a lot more parents now also realize that actually we have something that we need to look into. And and we as parents must be the ones who are, who are taking active steps and, and show our children... At least we try and not avoid this conversation. And I found it so interesting when, when we had the Fridays for Future demonstration started. Like a lot of people from the elder generation, like the 60 plus years, they were really upset that the children don't go to school, right? Because children have to go to school. Like, what is this kind of attitude, mm-hmm. right? We are, you know, we created the school system, we spent a lot of work to make the school system, and then don't, now you don't use it. What's the point there? And then the same generation, right, the, because they were like risk group for the COVID or our risk group for the COVID, they were really grateful when the kids then didn't go to school. <laughs> uh, and, and then, it, it, which is really interesting because the COVID is like, you know, that concerns one species, right? And then only the certain age group in one species, like mainly, well, the others also, of course, but, you know, it's, it's a human thing. well well the Fridays for futures they have more about the climate change for me it's like in general the ecological crisis or the survival situation in general including climate change and other symptoms like that is concerning all species absolutely right and that's and that's like you know that's really a big thing to look at and it's also i think that's also the reason why people maybe don't want to look at it because it's too big to understand too big to you know get an idea of what that actually
0: means. yeah it's very it's very overwhelming for a lot of people i think we keep kind of coming back to that idea uh, again and again throughout our talk today is this you know idea of yes it can be overwhelming but you just gotta tr- you know try you know it's like it's kind of like i mean we've been programmed you know in you know modern society to act in this very you know hyper capitalistic kind of know regimented way we might not see it but you know it's very common to go to work for eight hours a day it's very common to sit on your butt most of the day in a position that is uh, not very uh, compatible with the the bipedal organism with the way that our bodies are designed you know this is all just very common now and even these things that are actually quite basic it's like people oh my back hurts you know i was complaining about that last week my back hurts yeah there's reasons for that that are very much you know just connected that we can change really in like a day. You can change the way you sit mm-hmm. you can change. And these little things make, you know, you change the way you sit, you change your perspective, you change how you think you can work. Maybe you see that you don't need to do things like this. or You, you don't need mm-hmm. to work in that way. Or you don't need, need to, you know, we've seen this a lot with COVID, you know, a lot of people no longer need to go to their offices. We don't need to maintain these
1: giant buildings anymore. You know? Which is really interesting, mm-hmm. right? When you When you think about what do we need to do? Right? We need to take care of our six survival priorities. This is what we mm-hmm. need to do. And and well, reproduce might also be one of the needs, but that's part of community. Mm. So and what are we actually doing, <laughs> right? Like how many people of us are actually working on, on taking care of food and shelter, right? So we're having professions that are relevant for our system, but not really relevant for life, right? We have. I mean, professional football player might be one of those examples. Doesn't really help. They don't grow food, mm-hmm. but they create a lot of community, like you know, valuable moments, I guess. But there's like so many professions where we like, for example, anything connected to to electricity, pro- like production of electricity or or or, or transportation, right? like we are looking at electric cars now and there's people working on developing very energy efficient electric cars what we do you know it's a bit like going to the doctor with a headache and the doctor gives you a a, a pill and another pill and another pill next day and another pill and never asks like do you actually drink enough or do you actually sleep yeah right so like it's a bit of a system fighting the electric cars or the the green electricity and what we fail to see is that we do not need electricity to survive, but right? it, it has, you know, like when you look at the at the human body, at who you are, you do not need electricity to survive originally, right? We have become created a dependent to it because we don't know how to store our food without electricity or transport it without electricity. But at the same time, like these are, you know, these these are. The, not not priorities, right? We do not need motorized long-distance transportation with vehicles which are heavier than we are ourselves. Yeah. No matter if they are powered with electricity or, or with petrol. Right? Yeah, so, we've
0: become, uh, I think it's safe to say, although it's hard for many to realize, which is why we're in the situation we're in, because we were, like you said, we were just born into this, but we've become very distant from our top six survival priorities and we become dependent on this system that p- provides uh, our survival uh, for many people but not everybody of course there's a lot of homeless people and a lot of people that are sick and Uh, Injured all, but we become very distant from these six survival priorities, and we are dependent on a system that provides that for us in a very
1: abstract
0: way that doesn't really match our body. Very
1: fragile, very fragile, very fragile, very fragile, very complex, very interconnected, and very disruptive, obviously also. And in a way, it feels like so. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about this because. Basically, the message to me is more like not how bad everything is, but, you know, what kind of beautiful utopia I can imagine. Like in crisis, crisis is always the time for utopists. So, and, and I, I think there's like beautiful utopias that I can really see happen. And there's a lot of things that somebody called utopias and now they're actually happening. Like, and they don't make it into the news because, you know, they're not, <laughs> they're, negative, not, they're not good but, for business yeah i don't know what it is but like when when i look at the the fast growth of the like eco village network or the rewilding movement or like what we see how, how the values of like outdoor education like these are you know these are stories that are much worthwhile because if we want to survive we need to meet reality if we want to meet reality We need to spend more time outside than indoors, at least more time outside than online. And this is what outdoor education is doing. And I think part of education must be to teach survival and to teach survival. We must have nature connection because we need to survive in nature. Nature is still the only place on earth. And so I think that's, and that's like so easy to do. Like nature connection is so easy to do because, you know, nature is right where you are sitting. You don't need to go outside of the city to be in nature, right? It's just, we need to look at things maybe a bit differently and feel a bit differently about our own nature and and how we can connect with
0: it. Yeah, nature, nature so, connection. It's a really great way to uh, kind of wrap it up. Nature connection is really just in the crack in the sidewalk where the little plant's poking out. It's trying to tell us
1: something. It's in, it's in every breath. It's in every breath. Right. It's it, in every breath, every droplet of moisture that you breathe in. If you just like go through a little, little exercise. Mm-hmm. Okay. Plus, you're mm-hmm. there. Okay. And we have a listener there somewhere. <laughs> Hopefully, <Okay>? many. <laughs> so, okay. Close, close your eyes. Right. Okay. And, and feel into your body. And most of it is water. Mm-hmm. Right. And most of this water stays in your body only for 14 days, about. And then it moves on. Water molecules move on. And when you breathe in, there's moisture in the air that will be absorbed by your body, that will become part of your body. Same mm. when you breathe out, some of these molecules that haven't been part of your body, they go out through your breath, out of your skin when you sweat. Mm. right? And these water molecules, they have been around forever. So the same water molecules that are in your body now, they're millions and billions of years old and they have been underground. They have been on the glaciers. They have been in the clouds and in the oceans and they have been in other organisms. They have been part of a dinosaur one day. And we have like indications or like we know, for example, that plants fulfill all our criteria for intelligence, which is social behavior memory and communication and it looks more and more like this that actually water fulfills the same criteria Mm -hmm. and how crazy is that it's 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 super crazy i
0: hope i hope uh got lots of people out there trying this breathing exercise i have to say it's nice imagining kind of the primordial soup of history and sand and water and dinosaurs rolling through your body Thanks for that. Hey, Huck, I think, I think I'm going to, with respect to your time, I think I'm going to wrap it up for today, but I just wanted to ask you, I think we have a, a much more discussion in the future, but I wanted to ask you before we wrap it up, do you have any plans like for the future of Nomad Town? And is it also possible for people to visit you
1: or come and learn with you? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Like um, most happily come any day, not on Monday. Monday is inhabitants <laughs> only. <laughs> and and if you come, well, we have Tuesdays, we have open sauna or like whoever comes. Give us a note before you come so we know that somebody is coming. And then if you want to come and visit, like sometimes people come for, they want to come for a weekend and then they spend two months mm. there, which is really nice. So at least come for two nights. Because it takes some time to, you know, get to know routines and how we do things, and how we live, and and like the ideal. This is something where I learned a lot of lessons. Like when I started as the first inhabitant, I was hoping that there would be pioneers coming, right? People who who come with their own shelter, maybe a tiny house, iguards or whatever. And what actually happened was that people approached us, like who have problems with multi chemical uh, sensitivity. Mm people like with, with inside air, with mold. So people came like loads of those people because they're like, they're, they're floating around. They're moving from apartment to apartment to apartment all the time and they're looking for safe places to be. So a lot of these people came to us. So in a, in a way that's really good, ideally we would be able to provide home and space for anyone, no matter what age and limitations and possibilities somebody has at the same time in the moment, I, have to say it takes time to take care of life right making firewood gathering food all these things it takes a lot of time uh, especially when it's still a small group so if i can have a wish like it would be good if you have been sleeping outside before (laughs) and know how to you know cook some cook a meal on the fire but it's not it's not necessary it's just helpful
0: (laughs) and are you still working i just i I know because i was i was searching you online are you still working sometimes as a wilderness guide or survival teacher are you still working with
1: this yes i do i do corporations with another company like i have the nordic by net, which is probably like you know wilderness guides are not do with marketing at least least, uh, they're they're contradicting it's two different realities but yeah i do I do and happily do, uh, anything between two hours and two weeks is possible to arrange basically. Best is always if, if people contact me and ask, Hey, I want to do something. So, but I'm also, uh, trying to arrange now survival basic courses again, twice a year. And I focus mainly with my activities on the local community. So, um, like exchange students, we have a university in Yuansu. So so I'm trying to offer something to young adults who are in UN anyway. So, but if you, if you come traveling through, please visit. Oh, I, I, I yeah. already
0: have it on my, I have it on my map of places I want to go. I mean, I'm, I was actually, it's too bad I didn't know about this earlier because I was just on, a, me and my partner, we were on a bike trip from two last year. We biked down the way Oh, wow. And, and I would have loved to stop by because I, I have this dream myself of, just kind of biking bit of a detour yeah but. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but you know if it's just a place to stay and camp out. I mean you have also in Finland you have this it's similar here in Norway and in Sweden and pretty much everywhere up here where you can kind of camp where you want you have a really funny word for it which I don't know if you know the word for it but I always try to say it do you, do you know this word where you can camp wherever you want like freedom to
1: well it's if- it's every i call it the every person's right it used to be called every man's right and in Finnish it's called joka Mien oikeus that's Yokas. the word it means every man every can man's it, can right but, can you say um, it one more time joka i think joka henkilön oikeus is much better it means every person's right cool
0: yeah that's the word i was always trying to or, learn when i was in finland cuz cuz it was really helpful to know about joka oh, i can't say it but I'll try to. Learn, I'll try to learn it for next time. So I think I think we'll cut it there for today. Huck, thank you
1: so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, listeners. Um, looking forward to hear also comments and questions.
0: Uh, I'd like to hear if anybody else tries to do the full moon stop out there because it sounds like a really yeah. awesome thing to do. Full
1: moon, full stop. I recommend It It works. It gives solution for your own life um, for a global situation. So. And if somebody is taking using this tool, please I'd be very interested to hear feedback. Uh, also, if somebody wants uh, full moon tools to be facilitated, I'm happy to come over or try something online to help. Yeah, sustainability consulting I do also by the way. Oh, amazing! Yeah, this is
0: that's a whole that's the next episode I think. I want to hear a lot about that. Yeah. So yeah. So hopefully people get in contact. I want to thank you so much for your time and hanging out in the sauna
1: and. Uh, Thank you so much for for this idea of this podcast. It's been a pleasure to listen to the previous episodes, and I'm looking forward to more episodes. You're doing great, great work. Thanks.
0: Yeah, you too. You too. I mean, this is this is great. This is the community that we're kind of trying to uh, connect here, because I think the, we're we're all out here. There's all these people out here, just kind of working in their communities, or maybe working alone, or in their region, and trying to get this global connection. Because because I don't know. I think that's what not a bad idea so yeah thanks a lot huck it's super great to talk with you so feel free to stick around uh, after the show if you want for a minute and yeah hopefully we hear from you again and, and good luck now that the winter is coming to nomad town in finland all right and welcome back everyone thank you huck if you're listening out there In Finland, we tackled a ton of different issues in our conversation today. Everything from saunas, sustainability, hibernation, minimalism, the eight shields model, six survival priorities and the full moon stop tool. So I'm definitely going to leave a list of some of these things in the description. So if you're interested, you can go back and listen to those uh, sections of the podcast or you can explore more on the Internet or in your local library. But one nugget of info I would just like to sift out of all of this is this idea of just giving it a try. Listen, sustainability can't be achieved by one person or in one day, but it can all start with those first steps. I think we keep coming back to this idea throughout the episodes. It's not easy to fix everything right now, but it is easy to just start trying in any way that you can. Being able to participate in the circle of self-care and care for others is essential for our survival and the survival of everything. So I thank Huck for sharing his perspectives on that, about what he's cultivated and uh, giving it to us out here in the liminal space. And please don't forget everybody to check out Huck's YouTube channel because you just, it's just a wealth of information. You can get some really great visualization of what he's up to out there in the nomad town out there in finland so these are our transnational perspectives today and i'm your host josh bennett thanking you so much for tuning in and i hope you found this valuable use of your time and attention please make sure to share this around and keep the perspectives expanding and make sure to follow us on twitter and otherwise at Transnatural pod to stay updated until next time get outside and connect have a good one everyone thanks and peace